This morning, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to give you one more prayer request. Uh, number, uh, I almost forgot. Uh, my son David is at Camp Hickory Hill this morning. Uh, for the next few weeks, he'll be there. And uh, he is going through their leadership program, their leadership and training program. And uh, so this week, he'll be backpacking, literally backpacking through the mountains of Pennsylvania as they go, go through their leadership training. And uh, I was really encouraged by uh, the amount of uh, work that went into this week just to be able to go. He had to do a study on the whole book of James, question and answer going through the whole book in preparation for the leadership training. And uh, so be praying for him. David, if you haven't known, has been going through these migraine headaches literally five, six times a week. It's just been an ongoing thing. We've had him to a neurologist and different things, and they can't really seem to put a finger on what's causing them. But he's going to have to deal with that along with being backpacking through the mountains uh, this week and then leadership camp the next couple weeks. So just pray for him if you would. And uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who have been bringing meals to Lynch's and Amadon's. I know that's a real encouragement to them. Lynch's with the ongoing health problems that they've had. And uh, uh, Amadon, Cindy Amadon, with the hip replacement that she had. So just encourage you to uh, continue to be a part of that. And uh, just be a real blessing to them as a church family. Well, this morning I want to speak to you on the topic of, of the profile of a good man. The profile of a good man. Acts chapter 10. As we look into this next text of Scripture, we see a parallel between a man named Cornelius and many folk in churches across the country today. As we read through Acts 10, I believe you'll see many traits in the life of Cornelius that are similar uh, to many people in churches and pews today. So they're good and sincere, but sincerely lost for a period of time filled with knowledge and righteousness even, but without a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know who is to be credited with making the original statement that some, someone once said that probably 80% of people in churches across America do not have a, a, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it's that high. Certainly maybe some. But I think the one thing we have to often remember is that it's, it's one thing to do good things. It's another thing to believe in your heart and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, the word Lord in the Greek language means master. Several years ago, um, John MacArthur was nailed and crucified. And it wasn't by the unsaved, it was by those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior for making this statement. He's not Lord at all until he's Lord of all. And what he was simply referring to is the fact that many people cry out to Jesus so that they don't have to go to hell, but they've never truly committed to him as their Lord and Master. And I think there's some truth to that. A lot of people in a lot of churches know a lot about Jesus, but they don't truly know Jesus here in their heart. As someone once said, missing Jesus by 18 inches, the distance between the heart and the head. There may be some truth to that. And I think there's some truth here in the passage as we begin reading about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So if you would follow along as I read the first uh, many verses here. Verse 1, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. 
He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius. Looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. We'll go ahead and stop there. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we once again just come before you. And we ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts through this text of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that we would be honest before you concerning our own estate, whether or not we truly know you, or whether or not we're just going through the actions, going through the motions. Lord, I pray that we would truly know you. And Lord, I do pray if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. May you have your will and your way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice the description of Cornelius as we read that. First thing that we read about him is that he was a centurion with the Italian regiment. And there's something interesting I learned about the Italian regiment this last week. And it's this. The Italian regiment um, were men who were hired and necessarily were not desired soldiers for the Praetorian Guard. They were, if you will, Roman hirees, soldiers, if you will, for hire, who were sent in, and they happened to be in Caesarea as Peter was there also. So here's a man who was not, for whatever reason, God's word doesn't tell us, who was not chosen by the Praetorian Guard, but yet chose to live his life as a soldier, hired by the Romans, stationed in Caesarea. But you notice his religious fervor. According to verse 2, he says he was a devout man and feared God along with his whole family. And he did many charitable deeds for Jewish people. And he prayed to God. And what's the next word? Always. If you were to stop right there, at first sight, it would appear that Cornelius was a Christ follower. I mean, at first notice, I mean, here's a guy who's got it all together. Here's a man who is, by, by, by everyone's right, uh, a recognition of him, uh, his own reputation is that he's a devout man. He's a godly man. Uh, he's one of those guys that did things for anybody he could. He was charitable. Uh, he helped those Jewish people that were in need. And uh, he prayed a lot. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a lot of people in a lot of churches across America today? Yes or no? Yeah, it really does. Uh, but as we read on, there are some things that didn't quite add up to being truly a follower of Jesus Christ, so to seek at this point. So in reality, Cornelius at this stage is only a seeker. He was trying to find God. <clears throat> if you will, he was a good man. And can I just tell you, our world is full of people like this. I've been uh, sharing on occasion about uh, a couple different people that I've been talking with they are really good people. Uh, if you ask them to help you, they will help you. You say, well, hey, 
you know, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a liar, I'm not a cheater, I'm not, a, I'm not a thief. I mean, these are people who, by their own admission, oh, I'm a good person. That's Cornelius at this stage. I believe he was seeking the truth. I think he wanted to live it out. I think he was fascinated with with uh, Judaic Christianity as he knew it in that in that in that in that stage of his life. He was religious. He was moral and upright as a man. He practiced religious acts, if you will. He prayed always. He was religious, yet at this stage he was lost. And that's why I said in the beginning, he's very much like a lot of people in the world that we live in. Religious, but lost. Even sincere, but sincerely lost. Going through the motions. And you notice that he had an encounter with an angel in verse 3. So, about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. And looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And you notice in the word Lord there, it's a small L. It's not a capital L. It's not curious. He's not master yet. It is a term of respect at this point. And so at this point, he recognizes him for who he is, but it is a term of respect. And the angel comes out about the ninth hour in this vision, and Cornelius was terrified and addresses him. And Cornelius receives instruction and sends his servants down to Joppa. But God noticed the works that he had been doing. He says, your works have become something that he was able to notice and, 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 and highlight about his life. But this is the example of who he is. But can I just say this? This is a lot of people in a lot of places. In fact, so far in our study of Acts, as we've gotten thus far, he's the third person who was religious, lost, and yet still seeking Jesus. Well, who was the first one? Well, turn back just a couple chapters to Acts chapter 8. Remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, the conversion here? Um, look at down to verse 26. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went there as an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of an entire treasury, he has come to worship in Jerusalem. Now remember the story here. I won't go through the whole situation. But here's a man who has got some clout. He's got some authority. He's got a position that is desirable. He's the treasurer, so to speak, of the queen's finances. And yet, where is he and what is he doing when uh, Philip comes to him? He's sitting in a chariot reading Scripture. And yet, when Philip looks at him and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I? Except someone explain it to me. And he begins to share Christ and what the gospel is. And then he says, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And he says, if you believe, you may. So here's the first picture of somebody who is religious. He's sitting there reading the words of Isaiah, and yet he is lost until the truth is explained to him, and he trusts in Christ. Well, then you get into Acts chapter 9, you find another religious person by his own testimony throughout Scripture, and that was Saul of Tarsus. And you remember this. 
In, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So here's Saul, who is a religious man by his own testimony. He's a Pharisee amongst the Pharisees. He knows the law inside and out. He is religious, yet he is lost. And God gets a hold of him. He says, you know, Saul, why are, why are you... Why are you persecuting my, my, my people? And God gets a hold of his life and changes him. He was religious, yet lost. And then you come into Acts chapter 10, you find one more, Cornelius, who is religious, yet lost. Question, do you see this in churches across America? What is the marks of obedience? What is the, or what is the mark of true Christianity? I think very at the very base of it is obedience. He says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. It's the motivation for our obedience in our walk with Jesus Christ is to obey Him. And by that, nurt, or by that very um, characteristic, if we are not obedient, what does it say about us? We don't love God as we ought. And if we did love God as we ought, what would be different in the churches across America that we know of? Just... Think about that for a moment. How many churches go forward and are not walking in obedience? See, we see churches across America growing, but a lot of it's through transfer growth. They're upset at this church, so I think I'll go to this church. And when things get a little rough over here, well, then I'm going to go over here. And all of a sudden, this church begins to grow, and now this one's beginning to shrink. But God's hand must be on this one because it's growing. Folks, how many churches are growing because people are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's a question we have to answer. And if it's not even happening in our own midst, what does that say about many of us? The bottom line is we want to be a church where God is truly at work because our people are truly following Christ. And we truly know Him and have a relationship with Him. We don't want to be a church that does good things. We don't want to just be a church that helps people. We don't want to be a church that just prays. We can go through motions, but motions will get us nowhere. We want to know Jesus, as we said last week, and the fellowship of his sufferings, that we may be like and conform to the image of Christ. So when did Cornelius accept Jesus Christ? Well, the story continues with a divine appointment between Cornelius and Peter. In fact, if you would, look at verse uh, chapter 10, verse 17. It says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told them, the three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany with them with, with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. So God is beginning to work in the, in, in the mind of Cornelius and in the mind of Peter to put them together so that Cornelius might know the truth. So while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit then confirms it. And verse 21, Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you are looking for. What is the reason you're here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear the message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. 
And the next day he got up and set out with him, and he goes down with his brothers and some soldiers, and goes down and has this conversation with Cornelius. Now verse 34, this is where it gets real. Look at verse 34, it's the beginning here. Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace throughout Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with Him? We ourselves are witnesses of everything He did in both in Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, witnesses appointed before by God, who, are, who ate and drank with him that he arose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to, and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. So what is, the, what is going on here? There's this divide that has taken place between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, the, and there's this idea that is permeating. Well, the Gentiles can't be converted because they haven't been circumcised and they haven't gone through all the rules and the regulations and the, and the guidelines. And, and Peter has to set the record straight here. It's not just about keeping the law. It's not just about doing everything that you know you should do. But for a period of time, there's this consensus that Gentiles could not come to Christ. And this is where Peter steps in and says, wait a minute. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. And so now we see this answer to this question. When did Cornelius come to know Jesus Christ? Cornelius, at least for a period, was not fully a proselyte. He followed all the rules, yet remained uncircumcised. So he wasn't truly, according to the Jewish folks, truly a convert. But like Cornelius, many become religious and follow the guidelines that are favorable or reasonable in their minds. See, Cornelius was a good guy. He was a good person. He was upright. He was moral. He even had a, a sense of fear and respect towards God and his people. And he prayed a lot. But can I also say that there are a lot of people in a lot of churches and a lot of denominations in the world today that are religious. So at what point does my religion move into a relationship with Jesus Christ? When I confess my sins before Him, and I accept His forgiveness, and I place my faith and trust in Him, and the relationship begins. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. 
So this, at this point, the, the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and these Gentiles receive the Spirit just like the, just like the others. And they didn't go through circumcision, because it wasn't about that. And then as you come into chapter 11, we see something else happening here. So the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message also. So this is revival has taken place. And so these Gentiles, Gentiles were coming to know who Jesus Christ was and what he had done for them, that he died on the cross. So they had welcomed God's message. In verse 2, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision argued with him, saying, you visited uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter began to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a visionary state an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came to me, when I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, <coughs> and the birds of the sky. Then I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing common or, ri or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must, or clean, you must not call common. Now this happened three times, and then everyone, everything was drawn up again into heaven. And at the very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. Talking about the two slaves and the soldier that came in with Cornelius. Then the Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. And these six brothers accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who also is named Peter, and he will speak a message to you that you by all your household will be saved. By as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on, just as on us at the beginning. He said, wait a minute. Just as you would received the Spirit, the Spirit came down upon these people as well. Now, what are we saying here? It's not just the Jews and the Gentiles. Now it's all of us, underneath the Spirit of God, and God doing a work in our lives to draw us to Himself. And then verse 15 says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as it did on us in the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? So all of a sudden, there's no more distinction. And all of a sudden, Peter, because of this divine meeting with Cornelius, Cornelius now has the Spirit in his life, and he's a child of God. Gentiles going forward, and all the Gentiles began to believe. And God began to use them. Look at verse 18. It says, When they heard this, they became silent. Then they glorified God, saying, So God has granted repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Even to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing what God can do? He can take a man who was religious, who was upright, who was moral, who prayed even, and brings him the Spirit of God into his life and makes him a child of God. What does that, how does that apply to us? What does that mean for us? 
Well, once again, across America, there are a lot of religious people. In churches across America, there are a lot of religious people. They do a lot of good things. Help the poor, faithfully show up, give to church, and yet they're far from God. There's a respect of God, but, uh, you know, Cornelius held back some things. I don't want to go through that. I mean, I don't really want to be a true proselyte. But then the Spirit comes on him, and he receives the forgiveness of sins, and everything's changed. I love, but it doesn't stop there. Going on here, God begins to use him in a mighty way. Verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, remember we talked about him, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot, the Cyrenian man, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church, where that was at Jerusalem, that they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. So God's word begins to just flourish in the land. And I think that, folks, think about this for a moment. When the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, and we are truly a child of God, what is one of the results? The gospel goes out. Does it not? The gospel goes out. And that's what's beginning to happen here. Verse 23, When they arrived and saw the grace of God, He was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of their heart. For He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large number of people were added to the Lord. And then He went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when He found him, He brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they, they met with the church and, and taught large numbers of disciples, first called Christians at Antioch. When God's got a hold of their hearts and their lives, the gospel went out. One more, verse 27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the time of Claudius. So so each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Once again, they took the circumstances of life and said, let's direct it as we go out and share the gospel. What does that mean for us? We have to get beyond doing the works of a follower, become a true follower, and do them. The bottom line is God wants to work in and through us. God wants to grow His church, right? Amen? God wants to grow His church. How does He do that? When we truly have the gospel living within us, the Holy Spirit's resting in our lives as a child of God, then we go out in obedience and the gospel is furthered. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. Last week we broke away from Acts just for a moment and we looked at Philippians 3.10 that I may, my goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to the image of Christ. When we truly know Him, we'll want to serve Him. We cannot stay stagnant. We cannot stay, well, I just do this, and I do this, and He does that, and she does this. We need to work together to carry the gospel out. If we truly know Jesus Christ, we'll be used of Him 
to further his kingdom. As God got a hold of... I mean, think about this. As Cornelius comes to the faith in Jesus Christ, it opens the world up to the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, all these Gentiles are beginning to believe what the Jews were believing. God began to work. And it went from town to town to town. What would be different in our midst if we truly, who know Jesus Christ, whose gospel has changed our life, would let God begin to do a work in us and reaching our town, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers? What would be different? We have Jesus Christ. Amen? What would be different? How does God want to use you to impact the world that we live in? Hopefully it's not just to go through the motions because the motions won't get us anywhere. The motions do nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ living within us, apart from His Holy Spirit indwelling us, that's nothing. Jesus talked about that in the, in the, in, in the Gospels. Did I not cast out demons in your name? Depart from me, for I never knew you. It's not just about what we are doing. See, a lot of people do a lot of things. But when the Holy Spirit indwells us, it changes us, and we go out out with with authority and power of God working in and through us. That's what we want. Let's not be like Cornelius, just doing good things, just being a good person. Let's let the Holy Spirit work through us and change us completely. And the evidence of that is God begins to do a work through us. Let's pray.